the psychologist from the early 1900s named William Molston Marston. Anybody? Okay. You're probably maybe in the profession. He invented Wonder Woman, right? He's Harvard trained and, uh, and was a professor of psychology at American University until something blew up. And then he went to uh, Tufts University. And he was, in his own words, the, the professed king of being able to unearth a lie, that he could not be deceived when he would meet with various uh, clients and, and folks when they'd come into him in his office. However, here's what's maybe interesting, you could say interesting, that he had this kind of duplicitous, you could say, rather complex life. He had a wife by which he had two children, but then while at Tufts University, he met a student, they fell in love, and so one day, he comes to his wife after having fathered, I think, two children with his mistress as well, and said, I want her to move in with me, and if you're not okay with that, then I'll divorce you, is what he says. Wife goes on a long six-hour walk, comes back and says, I'll make you a deal. If she moves in, she takes care of the children. Children can't know who, whose father, that those kids are yours, and so we'll concoct an entire lie, and so I can pursue my own career. How do you think this is going so far in the, in the Marston household? He agrees to it. Wife gets free uh, child care. He gets his mistress. They share the same bathroom. She's on one side in a room. They are in another side of the room, and there's a third woman who lives in the attic. Does this sound healthy to you? No. Um, and uh, what's maybe rather ironic is that the mistress, her name was Olive, she actually wrote a, an advice column in a family magazine called Family Circle. It was like a Dear Abby advice column on marriage, being a housewife. This is the early 1900s, right? and how to raise your children in the traditional, conventional, healthy, and secure ways that children should be reared. And it always led, her advice was like, well, you should go see Dr. Marston, who will uh, help you learn the ways of conventional, traditional, healthy, flourishing child rearing. Here's the best part about Dr. Marston. He invented the lie detector. Is that not amazing? No joke. The original lie detector. And as I was just listening to the story, it was a story on NPR, it, it struck me that actually you and I, we are not all that different in Dr. Marston. We cannot see the lie in our own lives, but we can detect it in others. Would you agree? We cannot see the lie in ourselves, but we can detect it in others. Let me ask you this. How many times in a week do you think you tell a lie of any nature, of any degree? Just take a don't, you don't have to shout it out loud, because then, then we'll say, you lie, is what we'll say, right? So on average, the average human being tells 11 lies within a week. That kind of gauge with you? Did anyone say, oh, at least 11? 
<laughs> in your first meeting or encounter with someone, say like a first date or whatever your encounter might be, in the first 10 minutes, you will tell two to three lies in your first encounter. And when asked if you are a safe driver, how many of you would say you're, you're relatively safe drivers? Mm-hmm. 93% say they're better than the average. Are you guys awake this morning? This is good stuff right here. Babies, babies lie. They lie, the research says, that when they cry, they could be hungry or they could just be inducing the guilt complex upon you. How do you know? You don't. You don't. So you just feed them is what you do, right? At the age of four to four and a half is when children develop what's called Machiavellian intelligence, which means that you become proficient at lying. And so this should be great relief to you parents of young toddlers that you, actually it is a sign of great brain function for you to be able to use different parts of your brain and lying. So your kid's a genius is what I just want you to, to hear today. Men and women, men and women lie but they lie for different reasons. Okay, this will be the test. One group, one gender lies to please other people. Another group lies to please themselves. <laughs> Just go ahead, shout it out, count on three. What group lies to please others? <laughs> I heard a lot of female voices <laughs> right there. That's right, women. And men often will please. I know we don't like categories. I know all that stuff. But in general, men will lie to please themselves. Yo. The jerks. I mean, those guys. I just, I don't understand it. So we're in the series called Walk This Way. Uh, we're in the New Testament book uh, called Ephesians, the Apostle Paul. If you're with us last week, and if you weren't, I just want to say, I don't like being the guy that says, go listen to my sermon or watch it. But, but because we're in this series for 15 weeks, and it was so foundational because what Paul is doing, as we looked last week, Paul is saying there is a way to walk, there's a way not to walk. There's a way to walk apart from God, and there's a way to walk with God. As we said, when you walk with God, you know you're his loved kids. You know that, that, that you're grounded because you know who you are. You're forgiven you're free, you're all of these things, and that we, because we're loved, we walk in love. That, that was the, the, the core essence, but there's also another way to walk. And Paul uses really kind of choice words and phrases like futility of thinking and darkened understanding. He goes on to talk about the consequences of living this life or parts of our life apart from God. And he goes from Ephesians 4, 17 through to about 22. And then at verse 23, I want you to look at this with me. He says, instead, instead of walking this kind of life apart from God, instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous, which means if you've been with us, means what? Right what? Relationships. And holy, which actually doesn't mean without blemish or never making a mistake. It means devotion to God and serving other people. That's all what we talked about last week. And now Paul is going to give some very concrete examples, some very practical ways that we can walk out love 
and he's going to go through a list of sexuality, greed, anger, stealing, all sorts of like these behavioral type things. But he starts, I think, fascinatingly here. He says, first example, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. I don't know. I would have said, so don't murder each other. I, I don't, I, like, as I think about, like, lies versus, I go, why would Paul make that his first example? I don't know if he's ranking, by the way. But why would he make that his first example? Well, it's because, let's show why he says we shouldn't lie. He doesn't appeal to morality. He doesn't appeal to your character. He doesn't appeal to the consequences. He doesn't even say, thus say the Lord, or this is in the law, or any of that thing. He says, for we are all parts of the same body. Paul's appeal, the whole reason he says not to lie is because and for relationship. We're a community. We're a body, he says, just like the foot is part of the ear. Just like a hand it is a part of your hip. It just, we're all connected, and a body has to send correct and truthful signals to one another. Otherwise, you get sick. You are sick. That's a sign of sickness. Truth is that which brings us together. What I love about what Paul's doing here is he's saying, look, this is all about relationship. And he's going to go on, and we'll look through the course of the next like, 13, 14 weeks at these kind of behavioral type things that we could quickly kind of fall into. It's like, no, don't do this, don't do that. And if you're thinking, is this, the, is this the series where it's like, don't do this, you know, this conduct kind of thing? Well, no, actually, this is about all things that can either break relationship or build relationship. All those things, break or build relationship. And so Paul starts with truth. This this truth, one person to another, this truth in a community. Why? Because when you tell someone the truth, you build trust. And when you have trust, well, then your relationship can, in the words of Stephen Covey Jr., your relationship can only go at that speed of trust. That's how you forge intimacy. That's how you do it. There was a poet and musician named Charlie Peacock he says this, and it was really pivotal for me in my marriage and in thinking about marrying Elise. He says this, what you can trust, you can treasure. What you can trust, you can treasure. You can let your relationship flourish. You can let it soar if you're grounded by this sense of truth. If you can trust that you can be vulnerable with the other person. If you can even step into the awkward with the other person. And all of a sudden as you grow this foundation of trust, that's when your relationships can grow. And Paul says, so stop telling lies. Speak truth to one another. We're all members together. This is for relationship. Now why would it be for relationship? Why did Paul say, instead, let the Spirit renew your attitude and your mind, but put on your new self and be like God in true righteousness and holiness? Like God. Because in God, there is no lie, right? So this is a part that we reflect because in God, there's no falsehood, and yet he's perfectly true all the time. But there's a deeper reason, I believe, and that is because at the core of who God is, is relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the one triune God. There is this beautiful mutuality, interdependency, this advocacy, 
this giving and receiving within Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So within the very heart of who God is, this is what he most designs, experiences within himself, and this is what he most has designed for you and for me, that he would create you and me for relationship with him and with others. And so I just want to pause. I just want to stop for a quick second, and I want to say this. Isn't that what you most desire? At the deepest core, peel it all the way back. Don't you most, no matter what the relationship, no matter what the thing, don't you most want to know that you are loved and you want to love? Don't you most want to know that you are known and you want to know? We said it last week, this is the core desire of every human being to know that we're secure and to know that we're significant, that we matter, that we're safe and that we matter and that we're bonded together at our deepest core as human beings in the ability to be known and know, loved and loved. You're made for this. And what Paul is telling us, he's like giving this, us this key. He's like, just turn this key of telling one another the truth. Because that will, that will build your relationship. So stop telling lies, he says. Because that will break your relationship. You know that word, lies, in the Greek. It's pseudos, is what it means. There it is actually written in the Greek, just for fun. Pseudos, it means lie, it means falsehood, it means to mislead. It's interesting, though, because we use the word pseudo a lot, right? When it's kind of near or close, like it's, it's kind of close, it's kind of similar, it's, you know? And, and actually what's interesting is for a compulsive liar, they actually built that word into the technical language, pseudologica fantastica. And that's what somebody who, who suffers from this compulsive need to lie all the time. But I would submit that we all suffer from this propensity to lie, to misrepresent. In fact, I was just thinking about, okay, we might not all be like Dr. Marston, right? You might be going, okay, I'm just married to one person, you know? We're the only ones who share a bathroom, you know? So, like, we might not have that most exaggerated example, but I guarantee you there's stuff in us. Let me give you six, six kind of categories I just kind of thought about, and you tell me, um, you tell me if this is part of what, you struggle with, and I'll tell you up front, the reason I came up with these is because I'm really good at all of them, okay? Number one is embellishing. I can be a great embellisher, and what that means is I round up. <laughs> I just round up. It's my way of math, right? And I will do it as a way of self-presenting. I will do it as a way of self-promoting or sometimes church-promoting and all those different things, and it really comes from this, like, I want you to think better of me. I want you to approve who I am because something's not quite settled there, so I need to embellish. Number two, minimize. If you're a minimizer, you say phrases like, it's fine when it's not fine. You take whatever was maybe painful or hurtful and you kind of suppress it down because maybe you want to harmonize things, but you can't really directly say that hurt. You can't really turn to the person, so you just want to minimize it. But here's the problem. It will oftentimes come out sideways through some form of maybe passive-aggressive behavior. Here's another one. 
Withholding. If you're a withholder, that means that you, you give truth, but only about 90% of it sometimes, sometimes 75% of it, but, but you'll, you'll hold it back for some reason, maybe for your own advantage or maybe for your own protection, but you, you, you have this incapacity to fully lay it out before another human being. You withhold it. You sit on it. You suppress it. Here's another one, compartmentalizer. Compartmentalizers are the one we just have to ask the question, are you the same person when you're at work as when you're at home? Or does your ability for truth-telling, does it depend so much on the situation, so much on the circumstances or the relationships? Do you compartmentalize what's true here? doesn't necessarily have to be true there. Are you the same person when you're with your Heartland community, your journey community, as you are when you're with your old college buddies? Are you the same person in physical presence and flesh as you are digitally online? We can compartmentalize. What's, what's true. Here's another one, optimistic. If you're optimistic, you're going to offer something that might not be true, you just want it to be. You hope it's to be. That's when, you, when, when you're 20 minutes late, but you say, I'm almost there, right? You know, it's like, I want to be further along than I am. I'm hoping every light's going to be green from, from here to there, right? You're just kind of optimistic. You're futuristic about things. I'll give you a, a last one that's somewhat related, excusing. If you're an excuser, you oftentimes in your head or from your lips will come the phrase, that's because. That's because. So uh, the text says, I'm stuck in traffic. I'm sorry I'm going to be late. When in fact, you're playing Fortnite for way too long on the couch and you left way too late. You didn't leave yourself any margin, but it's the traffic's fault. Now, it might be true that you're stuck in traffic, but that's not true, the reason that you're late. We do this all the time. Do we not do this? Let me just ask, how many of you, at least one of these applies to you? Okay, how many of you two? Okay, how many of you three? How many of you four? See, you guys lack the ability to truly be honest with yourselves. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. How many want to just join me? How many are up there? Six? Okay. How many are just going to like, all six, you nailed me. Right, all right, thank you. Throw an avocado your way if you were here last week. <laughs> I had a, um, this is years and years ago, but I had a staff member who was departing. And we, um, we needed to get together to talk about how we're going to talk about your departure. So I called this staff member over the weekend and, and never got a call back. And I was just like furious, like, why can't we work together? so that we can talk about this in the service on Sunday. And when we finally got together, I was, I was pretty, pretty hot about it. And, and the staffer finally just told me, said, look, Dan, here's the deal. I didn't trust you with the message. I didn't trust that you would tell the true narrative. And I got even more angry. I was hurt, I was offended, how could you, you know, attack my integrity, and all, all that stuff was rolling, fuming within me. But I remember sitting with a, an advisor later that week, and he listened to my kind of sob story, and he just very kindly said, well, all feedback is a gift, Dan. All feedback is a gift. And I had to sit with that. 
and I had to trace back the parts of my life and parts of my story and parts of my experiences and the things within me to say there's something profoundly true about, about that that actually is profoundly damaging to my relationships. And to ask the question, where does that come from within you and me, this propensity to lie? Where does it come from? I want to give you three, three reasons, three things three th- 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 that are lying. Where does it come from? Number one, lying, falsehood, has a source, namely the enemy of God. Devil, Satan, this is what he traffics in all the time. Look at the words of Jesus here as he describes Satan. He says, he has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And so when the enemy of God mixes with a culture that gets so confused, mixes with the brokenness of my own self, there is this natural bent towards wanting to always spin, embellish, compartmentalize, to lie. The second reason is because we don't know who we are. At our core, we don't know who we are. We talked about this last week. But if I don't know that I am God's kid and I am loved by him and I am grounded beneath my feet and I know that there's nothing I can lose and really there's nothing I can gain. Why? Because I'm always forgiven. I'm always free. I'm always loved by God. If I don't know all of those things, then I feel the angst, I feel the unsettledness in my nature. I live in a world where lying just is just par for the course. And if I know that I have to hustle for my own sense of gain, for my own sense of naming who I am, for my own sense of security and success and all of those things, then I will do it. I will lie, cheat, and steal. Right? And it all comes back to I don't know who I am. And the third reason is because it works. We lie because there's an expediency to our lies. There's a sense of utility to it. It allows for an accelerated gain, whether it's in relationships, whether it's at work, whether it's in the business deal, whether it's uh, taking the exam, whether it's plagiarism. We, we lie because, and if, we, and if it didn't work, we would have stopped it years ago. It worked for Dr. Marston, famous inventor, developed this franchise called Wonder Woman. Girls apparently liked them, made lots of money. It works until it doesn't. Can you think from your own life of a time when a lie has caught up to you? Can you think of the pain that it caused others? Can you think of the way that it broke your relationship? Diminished the trust? I think of just for Dr. Marston. His kids never knew until after he died 
two of them, that he was their father. There was such a web of lies. Could you imagine what that was like for them growing up? And even though everyone was complicit in the arrangement, I just can't help but to imagine what was going on in the heart of each, of Dr. Marston, of the two other women, three other women. It works until it doesn't. And not just for the sake of relationship with others, that's the focus of Paul, but actually in our, in our primary relationships, within ourselves, with other people, and with God. And as I began thinking about how that works and how that doesn't work, I began thinking, okay, well, honesty actually must work first. I have to be honest with myself. And then as Paul writes, I've got to stop telling lies with my neighbor and others. And then there's this honesty with God. And, and how does it work when I lie versus when I'm honest? How do these two things go, go together? Well, I'm going to design a matrix today. When I can't be honest with myself, again, it's because I don't know who I am. We've talked about that. And so I come at my lie from a place of insecurity. I want to impress you. I want to do a dance for you. But I, but I also want to do it for myself. I'm tr- I can't accept necessarily who I am and, and where I am in the, in the eyes of the world, the eyes of God. And so I come from this place of insecurity. But when I am honest with myself because I know who I am in the eyes of God, well, then I'm free. I'm free. I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to jockey anymore. I don't have to like sell you on who I am. I don't have to seek your approval. I don't have to defend territory. None of that is up for grabs. I'm completely free. And so truth is not intimidating to me, even at the deepest place of my heart. The psalmist King David says, oh God, surely you desire truth in my inmost being because that truth, the New Testament says, will set us free. When I lie to other people, what am I doing? What's the net effect? Isolation. Because whether it's a little minimization, whether it's a little embellishment, a little what's often called a little white lie, or whether it's a powerful secret, at some point, if I'm a dishonest person or being dishonest, I am going to invest more capital, mental capital, I'm going to invest more emotional capital in keeping those web of lies going than I will invest in the relationship with other people. And it becomes exhausting. And the research actually says that our health gets greatly impacted. Two different parts of your brain have to work to tell a lie versus one part of your brain to tell the truth. And so your stress goes up, your inflammation goes up, and it leads to all sorts of damaging impacts because you work so hard at keeping the lie going. And ultimately, it pushes you further and further away from relationship into isolation. But when I'm honest in my relationship with others, it leads to intimacy. Intimacy. When I can step into that, that vulnerable space, when I can offer something that I don't, I don't have fixed or solved, but I don't have to say that it's fixed or solved, I can just say, here it is, or here I am, and when the other feels like they can trust 
me enough to offer the same. That's how intimacy gets forged. And it doesn't, by the way, have to be in, in, uh, in a marriage, though of course that's a beautiful example. It can be in friendship, it can be in a work relationship. And it can take the simplest of forms. I'll just give you an example. So I was with a, a really good friend of mine, and I was sharing with him some hard stuff going on in my life, and he just did a beautiful job listening, and he was quiet for a moment. And then he said these words. He says, well, Dan, I really want to remember to pray for you. I really want to remember to pray for you. What do we normally say in Christian language? Oh, man, I'll pray for you. You know, send something over a text. Hey, pray for me, guys. Praying, you know, while they're <laughs> playing Candy Crush, you know, or something like that. I was just so s- profoundly simple and beautiful. He's literally saying, I want to remember to pray for you. I like that. It's delightful. You know what it did for me? An engendered trust. I'll give you another example. So another buddy and I, we were just talking about marriage, and at the end of our time together, we said, all right, this next week, let's give ourselves a man challenge. Let's be vulnerable with our wives one time every day for the next week. Let's step into a vulnerable space and, and volunteer something that feels kind of scary to us, feels unsolved to us, doesn't feel strong. It might feel weak. Let's offer that. Why? Because it grows intimacy. I was talking to another friend who's, who said to me, um, Dan, I'm, um, I didn't do anything wrong, but my spirit just feels off about what I did. And my trust went up in that person so very much. And the intimacy grew with my wife when I moved in vulnerability. And the guy who said he wants to remember to pray for me, I, I actually believe he's praying for me. You see how that works? When we live in truth, when we live in honesty. And what about with God? If we, if we lie to God, it, then really it goes right back to the core of how brokenness all started in the garden. Blame, shame, hiding, and fear. Although I want to change the word. Fear works too. But I think maybe shame at its core is, God, you just don't like who I am, do you? And if, if you were really looking or paying attention, you would turn your head be just because of who I am and what I've, what I've done. I'm going to find the largest bush to go hide behind. Because maybe you love me in concept, but you don't like me. Shame doesn't say I, I did a bad thing. Shame says I am a bad thing. And when we turn to our maker from a place of shame, we anticipate judgment, ridicule, maybe rejection. And we hide and we blame and we're filled with fear because we're overcome with shame. And the truth could not be more opposite. The truth could not be more opposite. Everywhere in the scripture, anytime this has happened, and from my own experience and everyone that I've walked with in my life, when we turn to God in honesty, no matter what it is, no matter what we've done, he will forgive us. He will set us free. He will let grace fall like a fresh blanket of snow upon your heart and upon your life. Is that when we're honest with God every single time, he showers us 
with grace. It's like the story that Jesus tells. Like there's this, there's this uh, rabbi or this Pharisee, this religious guy who goes in the temple and just prays, God, thank you for all the things that I do so well. And then there's a tax collector, like one of the, 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 the ultimate sinners of the town, who just goes in, can't even lift his head. He just starts beating his chest over and over and over. He says, God, have mercy on me. A sinner, have mercy on me. A sinner. Now, you might confuse that for self-loathing. I'll tell you what that is. That is someone who's laying it all out there before their God, trusting that as they jump, they will be caught that as they throw it all out there, all the junk, the snow will fall and grace will reign. And there's one more category. It's really germane to the point Paul is offering us. He says we're members of one body. This is why we tell the truth to one another. He's talking about in the context of the church. And so there's one more layer here, which is community. And this can apply to in your own home. This can apply to uh, Heartland Community Church. This can apply to our society at large. And really, I see this progression. When there are a group of individuals who do not trust themselves at their core, when they come from a place of insecurity in their own individual nature, and then they come together and they're playing Fortnite or they're iPhoning all the time or whatever it is, but they're being pushed further and further with their secrets and lies into isolation, and the thought of God just leads them to shame, it ultimately ends in us and in our leaders leads to chaos. Chaos. But when a collection of people individually are just free because they know who they are, and when they come together, they offer themselves, their authentic selves, beautifully, powerfully, vulnerably, there's intimacy. And when they know they're not going to ever get it right, but they're committed to letting grace reign in their lives, it leads to peace. Peace. A peace that Zechariah would describe, a peace within your gates. It's interesting, Paul, when he says, stop lying, be truthful to your neighbor, he's actually quoting from the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. And Zechariah, at the time that he's saying this, is trying to call the people of God back together out of exile. You see, they, for years and years and years, had lost sight of the truth. They had lost sight of their priorities. And the consequence of that was that uh, foreign invaders came in and just pummeled them and dragged many of them into exile, one of the most um, painful times of Israelites' history. But now, 70 years later, they're being called back into the city. And the question must be called, how will we do it differently this time? How now will we live in community? And here's what Zechariah says, and Paul quotes in effect, but this is what you must do. Tell the truth to each other. Render verdicts in your courts that are just and that lead to peace. And that last word, peace, if we could just leave that up there for a second, that last word, peace, means shalom in the Hebrew, shalom, a comprehensive flourishing within myself, with others, with God, within our community, and actually within all creation is the full picture of such. In fact, I want to give you a literal translation of, of how Zechariah says it. He actually says, for peace in your gates... That picture of every kind of ancient civilization had a city gate. And they said, within our gates, 
Let's speak truth to one another. No more lies. Why? Because we're looking for peace within our gates. And you have gates. You have gates around your home. You have gates at your place of work. You have gates in your relationships. What does it look like? I'm going to ask you just for a second. We're going to sing this song as we close. What does it look like to pursue peace within your gates? How might you pursue peace within the gates that you're called to protect? Would you stand with me if you're able? There are two things that are true about being truthful. And one is we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional and thoughtful. And hopefully there's been some thoughts rising up in the room for you. Who should I be more truthful with? What should I be more truthful about? But we do ourselves a disservice if we left you right there because there's a second truth about being truthful, which is you can't do it. And I can't do it. If we, if we just said, okay, I'm going to go be more truthful today, and, and for the next week, we'd maybe tell nine lies versus 11. In other words, just left to our own broken self, we'll just fall back right into the same rut, right into the same futility of thinking. And that's why Paul be, begins his whole kind of gear shift with the words, instead, instead. Look with me here. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. This is a regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He is the Spirit of all truth, the Scriptures say. He's the Spirit that confirms and affirms with your spirit that you are sons and daughters of our King in heaven. He's the Spirit that will give you just what you need in the moment when you speak or when you act. He's the Spirit of all truth. And so let's just close here in our time together asking for more of the Holy Spirit to bring the one as the true source of the truth in our relationships within ourselves, with others, and with God. So pray with me. So Father, and if you would, just take one of your hands or both your hands, just leave them open, kind of palms up to the skies. No one can see it. We're in the dark here. But Holy Spirit, Would you breathe your truth into us? Breathe your truth into us. And where we haven't been truthful, God, would you convict us about that? Bring it to the surface of our minds. Bring it into the light, but we know you'll do it with such kindness, such a tenderness and force all at once that in you there's no condemnation, there's no shame that will feel both a sorrow and a warmth all at the same time because we will have known that the Lord God has spoken to us by your spirit. And you wanna lead us into the way of love, into the way of flourishing and intimacy in our relationships. So Holy Spirit, come. Would you just say those words with me if you feel uh, like you can join me in that? Would you say, Holy Spirit, come.
for the truth that will set us free, that will grow us together, that will fill us with grace, and that will bring us peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's walk with Him this week in the way of love.